Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, listeners, welcome to another wonderful mashup where I have two wonderful guests to share with you from my interviews that I've done with them over the last sort of few months and that. So episode 312, this is Dr. Judy Lubin, and the title of this episode is Leadership Has to be Part of the Change. And then episode 314, Kenneth Harbour, uh, he, this, his one's called The Mission is Critical and uh, wonderful, both of them. Got some, so much great insights from both of them and, uh, in the interviews. And uh, right up front, I'm going to say to you, hey, if you haven't already checked them out, go and check out these two episodes as well. But listen to the mashup now and see what they have to say as part of the taste of what the full interview is. So sit back and enjoy. Who's your favorite leader and why? Oh, do I have to choose one? <laughs> <laughs> How many you got? <laughs> well, you know, I was recently asked this question in another way. I was asked, who would I like to spend dinner with? <laughs> and so, I, so, so I'm going to answer in the same way that I answered that, that, that question, which is uh, Stacey Abrams. She's running for, for governor of the state of Georgia here. Um, and she ran for governor a few years ago, and she sort of took that um, that loss. And I, I paused to say loss because there were a lot of uh, discrepancies in in the voting process there um, in the state, and so there were questions and a cloud about the legitimacy of the outcome of the the governor's race. But she sort of took that opportunity and leveraged it to say. What am I? What What do we need to do within the state to really build momentum and change things? Um, and so she worked with grassroots um, leaders um, and organizations that had already been doing the work, but really galvanizing right voter registration um, and significantly increasing the number of of, of Black, Latino, Latinx, as well as um, Asian Americans in the state uh, to vote. That ultimately all garnered this this energy and momentum that for the first time in a in a very long time, the state of Georgia that has historically um uh voted Republican for uh, a Republican into office for the first time turned uh what we say here <laughs> blue, right? Um, which made a big difference in the presidential election. But as I've watched um Stacey Abrams, I had the opportunity to 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 see her speak um live and I've just was just so floored by her presence and leadership and able to communicate with the audience. And she was going around the room and taking three, four, five, six questions at once. 
And then when she came to answer each one, she knew exactly where the first questionnaire was, where the second questionnaire was, the third questionnaire was, and directed um, her responses in such a very personalized way, which I think is really important quality for, mm. for leadership is that even though you're speaking to a broad audience, right, the ability to make people feel like, feel seen and heard and touch individuals while you're also touching a, a, a wide swath of, of people is, is, is a very powerful skill um, to have and to build as a leader. The other thing about Stacey Abrams that I find totally fascinating is she writes romance novels. So, so we have this, <laughs> this powerful, dynamic Black woman political leader that for many years was writing romance novels under a pseudonym, under a different name. <laughs> Wow. And, and and now that she's reached this level of of uh, of recognition, she's she's republished these novels under her name. Um, but I just love the the versatility, right? Of <laughs> and and that's also reflective of all of us, right? We have so many different sides, and I and I, I love leaders that are able to truly be authentic and show the different sides of them. So I love that we have this powerful woman's former state representative um, and, and uh, gov uh, candidate for governor that also doesn't mind showing, you know, <laughs> she's got this, this wild and um, creative side to her as well. Thank you for sharing that because I think that's, that's really important. It's awesome to, to see that somebody has another outlet or another way of actually expressing her creative side of things, which is the writing right, which is really good. But you know what you said as well about the skill set that she has, to be able to listen to what's going on in the audience, take on those questions, then start to answer them and look at the people that's actually asked. That's, a, that's an awesome skill set to have. Now, since you've taken it down the track of actually the dinner, well, then I, because I actually have a follow-up <laughs> question you see to my question, which was, if you were sitting on a park bench having a coffee with Stacey, what would you ask? But since you're, if you're at dinner one-on-one -on -one with Stacey, what would be one question you would like to ask her? How do you keep up your energy <laughs> to, to, to respond to the, the level of uh, demand and requests? Um, for her, her leadership and, and, and guidance. Because I think that's also really important too, is, is, is how, not only how do you keep up your energy, but how do you sustain yourself ultimately is, is, is for me what I think is, is important. I, I just started um, a, a meditation practice and uh, one of the, the quotes that was offered uh, at the end of one of the meditations this week was the importance of, 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 of nurturing the roots of life. Right. And a lot of that is also those moments of, of quiet, um, of where we're able to, to, to be still, but also the time with family, the time for self-care being so important for us to be able to, to build our, our reserves um, so that we are able to show up as full leaders and in the full capacity um, that, we're, that, that, that many um, are looking for us to be able to, to show up fully and authentically. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. We do need to take time out to meditate for sure, uh, to think, but also just just have that quiet time. And uh, listeners, I'm going to actually encourage you, if you don't do this today, to actually put some time into your calendar just to have me time or quiet time. And it could be just 15 minutes, could be right through for an hour if you want, but it's a lot of quiet time. But also it's time to think, but also it's just time to be quiet. Turn the devices off, just get away from things, be quiet, 
because it'd be interesting, be really interesting to see what comes up for you, which is going to be really quite cool to know. Now, the title of the show is called Leadership is Changing. And no, Judy, you can't change this title. It is the title <laughs> of the show. When I say that title or that statement, what does that mean for you? So I, I have to, to, to think about it in the context and the work that we do every day. We work largely with, um, as I mentioned, organizations and leaders that are uh, taking the charge of equity to heart, right? And particularly in the last few years when we saw um, the, the, the racial justice uprisings in 2020 as a result of, of uh, the police killings here um, in the U.S., uh, many organizations and companies made pledges uh, to be anti-racist, to uh, really internalize what it means to, to, to be an equitable organization, to change their policies, their practices, to hire more uh, people of color, and to make sure that there were equitable opportunities for advancement. And so that, is a, that was a clear opportunity for leadership to change. Mm. Um, and leadership is changing in response to those demands. Leadership has to change, right, to be more equitable, to be more inclusive. And so in the work that we have done, right, particularly over the past uh, four to five years working with leaderships and orgs uh, to build racial equity is that what we were finding is that leadership was not ready to change. <laughs> and that was impeding progress and it was impeding um, you know, st uh, staff of color in particular, but even uh, younger staff, junior staff, from really believing that leadership was committed to, to changing and to, to building uh, an organization that was truly inclusive um, and equitable and where there was more power sharing, for example, across uh, the organization. And so one of the things that we learned very early on um, when we started working with our client partners was that leadership had to be in the room mm. because we had a couple of engagements where we didn't have the full leadership uh, in the room. We maybe had one person from the leadership team or two people from the leadership team. And so we would go through this process of building a working group or task force within the organization or government agency. We train them, we conduct an organizational assessment and everyone on the working group understood what was going on. They were part of that process. And then when we had to go back to leadership and say, look, this is what your employees said in the survey and in the focus groups, we got a lot of pushback from leadership that didn't want to believe uh, what people were saying that they had experienced within the organization. And then they weren't necessarily wanting to adopt the changes that we were suggesting or the, their internal working group was suggesting. And so we had two experiences like that. And we said, you know what, we're not going to work with any organizations where the CEO or the, the main person, the executive director is not going to be on that, that, that working group. And that we would have to have a number of other people from the leadership team part of that change process. And, I, and, and that has made the, all the difference mm. um, in how we progress through these uh, racial equity change processes over the past few years is that leadership has to be a part of the change and leadership, members of leadership has to have to change um, themselves. And so we work through a lot of those questions and challenges um, in trainings and workshops uh, with organizational leaders because uh, employees and staff more broadly are, are looking to leadership to embody what it, what it means for their workplace, for their institution 
to really be committed to equity, uh, inclusion and justice and, and belonging. And so if, if, if leadership is not in the room and leadership is not part of the change process, not just talking about it, but really being present and, 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 and verbalizing and vocalizing why it is important for themselves personally, as well as for the organization that they are trying to change, um, then, then, then that all, all that work really gets thrown out the window. And so we didn't want to, you know, if you're going to go through a nine month, 12 month engagement with, with Cure, right? We wanted to make sure that that was going to be a process that was going to result in substantive change. I'm glad you actually shared that with us because I was about to ask you, you know, there's a lot of leaders that got up and said at the time of Black Lives Matter and so forth, that they got up, oh, this is what we're going to do and we should do that. And I'm thinking, you're saying that, but how many of you are actually doing it? And I think you've just answered the question there for me already. Um, so it's not about some doing it, but it's also making sure you've got the right players in the room who are buying into it and also bringing it to life within the organisation. Now, whether that be the CEO or another senior leader or the exec in the team who's the sponsor that represents that executive team to say, we've got to do this and this is what we are doing to get the buy-in. It absolutely, absolutely does. You know, I've got a, a background whereby uh, my father is from Greece. And um, so coming from a Greek background, he came to New Zealand 62 years ago. And even as an immigrant coming to New Zealand, you know, it was really quite interesting in what he went through and so forth. But there's a Greek saying out there that says, the fish rots from the head. And I think the, the, if you just talk about the actual example, you just, you know, what you've actually just shared there with us, that if it's not being owned by the leaders within the organization, the senior leaders, and they actually really do own it and they actually bring it to life and they actually talking about it and, and so forth, then it ain't going to happen. It, it, it'll happen in little pockets, but it's not going to actually happen. Mm -hmm. And it's not just around what you've just shared. It's around anything that, that, that we right. do in business as well. Yeah. Uh, which is really interesting. Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's been your favorite leader and why? Well, that has changed. Uh, I've thought a lot about this because I draw inspiration from, from those who have gone before me, both leaders I have met and leaders I have just read about and admired from, from ancient history to the present. But honestly, watching what President Zelensky has been able to achieve in Ukraine, rallying his, his country, overwhelmed by this onslaught from Russia, rallying them to the defense of, of not just their freedom and their territorial integrity, but I think most of us recognize the, the future of the liberal democratic order, of, of freedom itself. They are holding the line and fighting the fight for the rest of us. And I think history will, will be the final judge, but it's probably not too soon to say that a lot of it has depended on a single individual holding his ground and saying, no, I'm not leaving. This is my country, and I'm going to lead the fight for it. Yeah, yeah. Ken, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's fantastic what he's done and, and how he's held it. And I actually was quite interested in the actual comment he made back to President Biden about the fact that, hey, I don't need a lift. I need ammunition. I need, I need help here. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it was interesting. Um, tell me, if you were to have a coffee with President Zelensky on a park bench sometime later on, what would be one question you want to ask him? Well, it, it would have to be later on because I wouldn't want to waste his time right now. Um, and it certainly wouldn't be out in the open. Um, gosh, I, I would probably just reflexively ask him about 
um, his family. I mean, I know he has so much wisdom to share about leadership, but the thing I kept thinking about was the conversation he had to have with his, with his wife about staying and how that went because she stayed too. The whole family stayed, uh, the kids stayed. And I, I just, I mean, I have been in dangerous situations before, but I have never in those dangerous situations had to account for the safety of my family as well. I mean, that that takes a level of moral courage that I think very few leaders, especially military leaders, have ever had to grapple with because their wars are almost always fought at, at, a, at a certain remove from their loved ones. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, imagine his focus as well. I mean, he, you know, he's out there talking about things and working through things, but then he's also got in the back of his mind probably his family just there to the left or right, wherever they are. You know, um, yeah, that must be very quite difficult for him to to, to focus. Um, but yeah, I cannot been... imagine. I just can't imagine. And I've imagined plenty of leadership scenarios, including those in which lives are on the line, but never the life of my own wife and kids. Yeah, and I did an episode on this actually recently. I do a freestyle episode once a week as well, and I talked about him, and I actually talked about how a lot of the Western leaders were, you know, he went from actor to being a president, and they sort of laughed at him and sort of thought, ah, you know, and now he's showing them who he really is and what kind of leader he is, and I think that uh, he's some changing some opinions big time. Um, in well, relation to him. I think he's changing opinions uh that people have of him. I think he's changing people's understandings, leaders' understandings of their own approach to leadership. He's certainly changed the way Ukraine feels about itself as a country and about him as a leader. Uh, for for the Burn the Boats podcast, I've talked to a number of people inside Ukraine, including a member of the Territorial Defense Forces, um, who, you know, I should probably put on the list of leaders I admire because this is a, a gentleman who the day before the war started was at his computer wearing a suit and tie as a financial analyst. And within three days was manning a checkpoint with an AR-15 and, 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 and body armor. And he confided to me and all of my listeners, but he confided in a, in a confessional moment that before the war, he had a you know relatively low opinion of President Zelensky, as did many Ukrainians. But the the glare of of that kind of spotlight and the pressure of that kind of conflict and well we'll we we'll call it a war even if putin will not and war itself tests people's true character and zelensky's mm. has shown through yeah absolutely that character being tested is massive but also i think the other one would be around actions uh, a lot stronger than just words and the guy's gone and done some again showing people so i admire him for that now ken the show here is called, uh, the show is called Leadership is Changing. When I'd say that title or that statement, what does that mean for you? Well, I, I'd probably put the question back to you because I assume that's a, an acknowledgement that in, in the business world, leadership has had to adapt uh, dramatically to different expectations among uh, among employers, among clients, among customers. I think in the military world, the fundamentals are still the same. I really uh, believe that. So I don't think leadership has changed that fundamentally in in certain contexts. But having led in a con military context, I am absolutely sympathetic to this this idea. Well, more than I. An idea, uh, the reality 
that leaders have had to grow with the times. And we, we, we have to understand that, that our employees have much different expectations in the 2020s than they did uh, a generation ago. Well, what kind of expectations do you think they've, they've got now that are different from a while ago? Well, part of it is market driven. It is a, an employer's, I'm sorry, an employee's marketplace. Mm. And if, if you're not a, aware of that, you're going to have a tough time finding uh, good, good employee, uh, employees. But I also think that work-life balance has become a real priority for, for my daughter's generation, let's say. And if, if you're not sensitive to that, uh, I, I don't think you're going to get the most out of your employees. It's not just a, a clock-punching generation. They want meaning in the work. They want meaning out of their, their non-work hours. And I think good leaders recognize that and, and can foster it. Hmm. And in the military sense, no, it's just the same foundation. When I say same, I mean, it's the strong foundations they have. Uh, military people expecting anything different from their leaders today. Was that say that again? What's the... So from a military perspective, are people who were in the military looking at their leaders differently and expecting anything from their leaders differently as, as well? On, on the margins, sure. I think there has to be some acknowledgement that the generational shift also affects those who join the military. Right. But the mission is just so paramount in the military. Uh, the mission drives and defines everything. And maybe if, if there is an adaptation to the the current leadership context, it's perhaps as a military leader talking about the mission in a way that is motivational to, to one's subordinates um, and not just taking it for granted, but making sure that there is that, that belief in, in the mission uh, and, and using that to motivate. Listeners, I don't know about you, but I just take so many notes from these mashups. Just imagine what you could get out of the full interview. So I'm going to really encourage you now to go back and listen to these full episodes. Because, you know, Dr. Judy Lubin, huh, another outlet of how somebody could express themselves. But also, I asked her what was the question she would ask her guest at dinner. And the question was, you know, how do you keep up your energy? And I think it's just wonderful to actually understand how leaders do keep up their energy as they are working through all sorts of different obstacles, stress, goals, deadlines, strategy, and so forth. So there's a lot for them to take on, but how do they keep up their energy? And episode 314 from Kenneth, where he talks about the mission is critical, and it's quite interesting to see how what he thought about the military versus the corporate world and how things are working today. So I hope you really enjoyed this mashup. And if you are enjoying them, please feel free to share them with your friends, your family, your network, because we'd love them to come along and listen to this episode and also other episodes on this podcast. All right, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.